What up, what up, what up? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the pod here. Uh, just had a few minutes after work here. Um, wanted to just do a short little little podcast for the folks listening today. Um, not a lot of hot topics today. I uh, just want to talk about mostly salaries and caps and sort of how that all applies to the NBA and NFL and what subtle differences there are between those. I've gotten some questions from fans about that. And I think it's important to address, especially in the offseason when these teams are making these crucial financial decisions that ultimately, you know, not only affect the owner, but also championship aspirations for these teams. Uh, Some other little news, um, you know, Kyle Rudolph, an under-the-radar sort of player, consistent veteran tight end, going to the Bucks, (laughs) replacing Gronk, I guess. Um, You know, it's Brady and the Bucks, so I assume that he will jump right in and Brady will make him great. Uh, but we'll just touch on that later as well. Wanted to start with Russell Westbrook quickly uh, and how that kind of relates to the cap and his current NBA situation. Um, you have him coming in right now based off the 2022-2023 numbers uh, at 47 mil. I mean, it's his salary. 47 mil. That's third in the NBA. Now, I mean, first, Steph, just a million more at 48. John Wall with his historic money-making ability, uh, second at $47 million. Um, of course, next year in 2023-24, we'll talk about that moving forward. He's only slated at $6.8 mil, so that'll even itself out there for the Clippers. But Russ, $47 mil. And of course, uh, last year of his deal um, in contract, at least. Same thing with LeBron James. He's coming in right after Russ at 45, just shy of 45, and then Kevin Durant at 44. Um, and so on and so forth. And we talk about the reason it's so hard to move Russ right now. He's scheduled to make $47 million, the third highest in the league, as his contract is currently set up. It's just an incredible number. Um, You know, obviously he's a great, great player, but this year had a terrible, terrible season in, you know, his regards. Um, but it makes it so difficult to move a player like that just on a one-year thing. Like, what team is going to be willing to pay the brunt of that in a move with him? And in return, you know, I, I think the Lakers really do want him out of there. But from what I'm hearing and what it looks like, him, AD, and LeBron have kind of tried to work things out. And I think ownership realizes that nobody really wants Russ. I mean, LeBron really brought him in, convinced ownership to do so. And really, that's on LeBron. Um, you know, sometimes decisions like that don't work out. Working with your friends, working with other good employees or superstars, it doesn't always work out, you know, um, even if it looks good on paper. So, you know, I think the Lakers are really stuck. And I think, you know, considering everybody's healthy, this is basically their roster they're rolling in with um, for the next season. But again, makes him really hard to be moved in just a one-year deal um, for all these people. And then you have, in relation to that, Kyrie coming in, um, at around 37 mil, scheduled to make again last year of his deal here. Um, he's coming in at the 20 spot uh, in the NBA for pay. So, um, you know, they have him, Kevin Durant on the Nets making 44, um, you know, with his numbers scheduled to go up each year as well, which is not uncommon, right? We sort of project in sports as the growing business for, you know, the, ca- the cap and these salaries to be able to rise each year. Um, and if you look, most most NBA players' contracts go up, at least the stars, by a couple of million each year. That's just how they're written. I mean, for example, Steph, 48, 
uh, now and next year 51 or around 52 uh, the year after that 55 year after that 59 and, and it's just kind of scheduled to go up like that um, as as we progress uh, so that's that's not uncommon just the issue um, you know these teams are having is you know the cap it's not like the NFL right you have leeway if you look at the NBA cap numbers it's actually extremely different than the NFL right um, so you have the cap max, which is, yes, a max, but more of a suggestion in the NBA than the NFL. Uh, the cap max in the NBA is just shy of $124 million. Um, but they have this thing in the NBA, which I'm sure you guys have, have at least heard of, um, is the luxury tax threshold. Uh, that's set around $150 million, so about $26 mil more than the cap. Um, if you're spending about $26 more than the cap, uh, you're going to hit that luxury tax sort of threshold, right? So these teams that kind of have loaded rosters, I think Golden State is an excellent example. Um, <laughs> I mean, they have negative $78 million in cap space, which on a final NFL roster you just don't see because they can't. But in the NBA, if you're willing to do that, if the owner's willing to pay out and then pay the significant luxury tax, you know, then... You can do that. And I think there's a lot of owners, a lot of teams uh, that are in different situations. Obviously, the Golden State Warriors have just been printing cash. I think it's a little bit easier for them to keep the keep the band together and just pay the tax and keep rolling, especially after this recent championship, I think, reinforces that decision that was made to kind of have all those guys like Steph, Clay, Draymond, all at max or near max contracts, um, which significantly hampers their team, even Wiggins. Um and some other guys they're paying in there, making well over the cap. And then you look at some of these other teams. I mean, no surprise who's at the top, really, um, in cap space. And there's only three teams above or below, excuse me, the actual cap in the Spurs and the Pacers being well out front, about 26, uh, 26 million below, and the Pistons about 7 million below. And then you start, the rest of the league is technically above the cap. You know, it, it's it's just crazy the way the NBA is different from the NFL in that aspect. Um, but the teams, I mean, traditionally, the teams that are further down this list, the people paying more money, are traditionally the better teams. Um, it's not always true. Some teams have some terrible contracts, but you look at the rankings and who's spending the most and who's the most over the tax. You get the top two, it's Warriors, Nets, Clippers, Bucks, Hawks. And there's a couple of couple of frauds in there. You had the Wizards who were, um, you know, mostly Beal, but also the wall contracts that really strapped them uh, and made this number quite ugly. Uh, the Wolves and who they're paying out. And then you got Lakers, Sixers, Nuggets, Celtics, Suns, Mavs, Blazers, Raptors. Like, it's most of the good teams. Heat right there as well. Like, most of the good teams are spending more money, which makes sense to get these stars to stay and get these stars to you know, make them relevant NBA franchises. And then you look at these other markets, these other teams, and they're not necessarily all the small market teams, um, you know, having the most space, but you, you Spurs, Pacers, Pistons, Grizzlies, Knicks, Rockets, Magic, Jazz, Charlotte, Kings, all those, all those teams have, you know, leading the league in cap space. But that's just how the NBA is set up. It's just a different world than the NFL, just a different pay structure, different rules, and allows these teams some leeway 
to sort of mortgage their future and make some significant, you know, significant uh, moves during these times. So it's a little bit easier to pivot in the NBA from some of these stuff. Uh, the contracts have a little bit more leeway the way the league is set up financially, and it kind of allows for a little bit more mobility than you may see in the NFL. And sort of what's led to the players kind of recognizing, I don't want to say a loophole, um, it's, it's more so just the structure of the league, but sort of taking advantage of this factor and having more mobility than the NFL in most situations. But again, you see these contracts, and each year everybody, all the stars, getting three, four million each year as the, as the cap's projected to go up. And I, I mean, I do think it will go up. The problem with the NBA versus the NFL is through the pandemic, through everything these past, you know, five, ten years, the NFL's only grown. Okay. The NFL, it feels like every single season going in, especially in the recent years, is like the most popular season that more and more people are watching, you know, parents, friends, fans, sons, daughters. Teachers, doctors, lawyers, everybody, it feels like, has their hand in the NFL somehow, whether that's fantasy football, betting, watching, following their home team, continuing their family family's legacy of loving a team. It just feels like the country is very invested in football. Um, so there, I mean, it makes sense that these guys can sign these mega deals that are backloaded in football, right? Because you kind of need to finesse them under the current cap. But then the cap's at least, you know, in the NFL, it keeps expecting to rise and rise and rise to accommodate these salaries. And so teams can sign these, you know, these important players for all this money that they're generating for the league because the league just keeps making more and more and more cash. They're printing it. You look at the NBA, and you might say, oh, the NBA is popular. It was a really good last season. You know, we've milked LeBron for a long time, but even without LeBron, we have Steph, Giannis, KD, all these guys that are making the NBA fun to watch, Luka, Ja, and a good young class, a young core coming up. But the NBA, I mean, all these contracts are extremely backloaded. And I think they're just expecting the cap to continue to rise, to continue to rise. And right now, um, I know there's talks of the cap rising, but it's it's anybody's best guess in the future how the NBA is going to do. Because despite how we feel, how, how some of us feel the NBA, like I, I think the NBA is in awesome shape, like watching the games – um, kind of cleaned up some of the foul fiascos. It's still pretty bad, but uh, not as bad as in recent years. And it's a fun product. It's fun to watch. The playoffs were awesome. I was watching random series that they're, <laughs> I mean, they're just awesome series. It's awesome basketball. Um, but I think the problem, the problem with the NBA lies is they're just almost banking or expecting this cap to go up when the ratings for the NBA have gone down. You know, like I said, I love the NBA. I enjoy it. I think it's in great shape right now. But if you look at the ratings and everything, it's going down. You know, it's going down. So we'll see how that works out in the NBA. I think ultimately owners are going to have to make some tough choices. They're going to have to take some of the players, you know, power back. Because if they're signing these massive deals that are basically deciding how you set up your future financially – and these players can just leave whenever they want. So you sign a guy to a deal, you still owe him some money depending how the deal's set up when he leaves or he's traded or whatnot. And you traded all, you know, most of your assets to get a player of a certain caliber, a Kevin Durant, a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, that kind of caliber player. And if they're of the mindset, you know, they play for a year or two and they bounce, 
your team can be destroyed, not only financially, but you also have like no assets left to try to, you know, pivot and get out of that financial damage. So and the NBA is in a more volatile situation just based on how the rules are set up. Because players in the past, I mean, the cap was lower, yes. But players in the past necessarily didn't take as much of advantage of the mobility and, you know, the financial gain that this can create for them. And again, I'm, I'm of the camp where players, men, women, anyone, deserve to get as much money as they can. It's, it's America. Uh, it's their right. It's how they feed their families, how they live their lives. So I'm not sitting here old and grumpy yelling, oh, pay the players less. They make too much. They, you know, dribble ball. They blah, blah, blah. I, I think they deserve the money. Um, it provides a great entertainment and great source of joy for the country. And I think it's overall a good thing. And it really, I think, again, I think sports helps drive the world, or at least the U.S., um, for basketball and football. But, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out with the NBA. Will the cap go up? Will it, you know, will it stay at a significantly stable value? And will this really handicap people, the owners especially, who will be, you know, gouged from taxes, luxury taxes, which some owners are a lot richer than others. It's not a big deal. But other owners, this this may really, really hurt. So we'll see how that plays in. It's just, it's always interesting in the offseason, in my opinion, to think about that kind of stuff and how the team is made and you know, it's really easy from the outside standpoint of the fan to be like, oh man, like we want this guy, let's get this guy, blah, blah, blah. And then we, you know, it's the dopamine rush. We don't really think what the owners are thinking. We don't think what the GM is thinking down the line. You know, hey, if we get KD, is he going to stay? Is he going to leave? How, you know, do we have to give the chickens and the cows and the farm up to get Kevin Durant? And then we're left with nothing if he leaves. So a lot of stress on the NBA ownership in front offices and I don't really envy their I don't really envy their position at all. It's a really tough position to be in. Um, but overall, I think hopefully the NBA can, can you know hopefully grow. I know the ratings are going down technically, but I think this year we're set up for a, another good season. We have a lot of young stars. I think LeBron and AD will be back. I think the Lakers will be back. Not saying they're going to be front runners, but you know they'll always have some favorism to them um, being the LA Lakers. You know, sort of the sort of the Cowboys in the NFL, or of the of the NBA rather. Um, but we'll see. I'm I'm really excited for the NBA. There's a lot of good young teams coming out of the coming out of the weeds with some good young stars that are going to be competitive. So it'll be fun to watch, and it'll be fun to see you know how these superstars get paid moving forward. And they just keep signing these massive massive deals, but someone's got to cut the check. Someone's got to pay the tax. So we'll see how long the owners will basically keep giving up an inch here and there and we'll see if they you know stay in their ground i think it's coming uh maybe not in the next couple of weeks or months but i think in the in the near future next couple of years i think the owners really have to to take a stand to be honest with you they they're gonna have to so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out but while we're on the topic of sort of financials and team caps and whatnot i wanted to switch over to the nfl and we we touched on it briefly uh the nfl is a lot different in the sense that they have a hard cap. They have a really hard cap. So technically you can go over, but it's not nearly the same as the NBA where there's literally a system set up for luxury tax if you go over. And then that luxury tax for the NBA gets just basically collected and distributed to all the other lower end teams basically that aren't you know, going over or going over a certain threshold. So in the NFL, the cap's a lot higher. 
Uh, I think off the top of my head, it's around like 210 million. Um, but if you just if you just look at this, look at the cap and how it's set up in the NFL, you really have, you really have to be careful with these players' contracts. And and we'll talk specific players in a minute. You know, obviously the Kyler Kyler Murray news is huge, um, and we'll touch on that briefly as well. Um, but you look at the teams with the most cap space, like the most top 51 is, I think, you know, the important figure to look at since that's really the guys you're rolling with uh, heading into the actual season. So cap space for the top 51, the team who has the most by far as it stands right now um, is the Cleveland Browns at $48 million. Now this will be subject to change. Um, this is just this year, obviously, but uh, with the Deshaun Watson, who knows how that'll work out. That'll definitely move them significantly when that deal kind of works itself out after this initial season here. Um, but they're the highest at around 48 mil space in the green. Um, Raiders, Panthers, Cowboys actually up there at 20 million. That's actually kind of surprising. Um, Bears, Dolphins, yada, yada, yada. And then you, you look through the list, you get to these teams, and there's only 30, uh, there's 31 teams that are technically, you know, below the cap. You know, it's it's close for a lot of teams. The bottom third of the league is less than ten million um, to the border there. But uh, Ravens coming in at thirty one at two point eight million, just below the cap. And then the the last place team um, in terms of cap for the top fifty one right now, as it sits, are the Patriots. They're about five hundred or about a half mil uh, over the cap right now. Which you know, caps caps scary in the NFL. It's it's a hard cap, like we talked about. Um, at least for the top 51 cap. And, um, you know, it's not everything, but it certainly can give you an outlook into how the team's going to have to deal with moves this year, how they can pay players in the future. And, you know, the NFL is always cool because they have to be a little bit more savvy than the NBA, and they have to make moves eventually at some point that help relieve their ca- their cap. They can't just keep spending, 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 and then never pay, basically never pay the bill. So, you know, the Patriots is an interesting one, you know, being in one of the worst situations for the cap. And, you know, they have a rookie quarterback. Uh, they don't have a ton of weapons. And I think a lot of it is sort of Super Bowl era fallout. Not necessarily Brady, but they had a lot of other veterans, some popular, some unsung heroes that were getting paid, you know, or at least counting towards the cap in a significant way. So, the fallout from that, and that's sort of another reason I kind of have them lower in the season in you know, the AFC landscape, is not only do they not really have the weapons and they have a young quarterback, they also don't have a lot of financial flexibility. So, you know, like I said, it's nice to look at this stuff in the offseason uh, when not a whole lot's going on. You can kind of see why teams are making moves, you know, as a fan, like we talked about. It's just like, give me this player, give me that player, which I, I totally fall into that too, especially as an Eagles fan, you know. Um, you know how we get sometimes, um, but you know it's interesting because owners and GMs and front offices they have a really tough job in the NFL. You can't really deal with emotion. You basically have to do everything you can do to get under that hard cap. And there's not as much wiggle room in the NBA, and it makes it really, really difficult. I wanted to uh, switch over to talk about Kyler Murray here since we're on the financial aspect of things and uh, recent news. Um, as we know, we've been following kind of the contract situation with him in Arizona, how that would work out. Um, is there leadership issues? There's definitely injury concerns and coaching concerns. And how is that all going to work out for that team? And, uh, just recently this week signed a mega contract His uh, total value, 230 point, uh, 230 million, basically. 
uh, in total value, which puts him per year just above Deshaun Watson at 46-1 per year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers being in first 50, Kyler in behind him, and Deshaun at 46 flat, Mahomes at 45, and Josh Allen at 43, um, the five highest contracts. And honestly, that, that list is crazy to me, honestly. <laughs> honestly, um, I mean, Rodgers, I get. Um, say what you want about him, but he's, you know, he's earned it. Doesn't show up in the playoffs, but he's he's one of the most skilled guys. And, and if he's going to gouge you, you can't afford to say no. Um and then four and five, Mahomes, Allen, make total sense. Uh, the two and three, to me, are just completely insane. Uh, Deshaun Watson, um, 46 mil a year. Uh, again, lots to work out with that situation, but only the Browns would, <laughs> only the Browns would do that. That's such a Cleveland move. Um, just a move made by a desperate franchise that's sort of always been desperate, right? Uh, they, they just haven't had a guy at that position for so, so long. Um, whiffed on so many picks uh, in the past 20 years. And they saw their guy, you know, kind of put their blindfold on, um, sort of stayed narrow-minded and didn't really care about the details and said, hey, this guy's talented. He's a generational talent. We want to lock him down. Um, You know, legal concerns aside, major injury concerns aside, um, you know, he could still be a fantastic quarterback. I could be totally wrong, uh, but my gut says, like, I I don't move the farm or pay $50 million a year, basically, for a guy with that kind of character issues, injury history, and you know legal stuff going on, I think it's insane. I think it's I think it's insane. Um, but you know Cleveland's going to Cleveland, uh, so it could work out for them. And maybe I'm wrong. I just I just don't see it. I don't see it panning out at least in the short term. Maybe it's more of a long term move for them, uh, in hopes that he can kind of clear this, stay healthy, and elevate their franchise. Which, you know, could happen. It definitely could happen. I mean, we saw it in college and a little bit in the pros. He's definitely capable, but, you know, dysfunctions in the Browns. Um, so we'll see if he adds to it or kind of helps stabilize that franchise moving forward. Um, but then again, Kyler Murray, second highest paid quarterback now at 46-1 a year. Um, you know, very polarizing player coming out of the draft and still polarizing in my opinion. Um, you know, a lot of big fans, you know, he can move. He's got a great arm. He's small, yeah, but he's got all the other stuff going for him physically in terms of arm talent and what it takes to be a dynamic quarterback. Um, but I think sort of the the situation that's been talked about and a little bit overlooked by some fans is that, you know, these these players, not all of them, but Kyler's a good example. He kind of <laughs> held the Cardinals at gunpoint in a little bit, right? I mean, he's still another year on his deal. He could have played it out. Um, he didn't. Uh, I mean, props for him and his agent uh, getting all that money uh, and, you know, securing his future with them moving forward. Um, but to me, something never sat right with him to me. Um, I have nothing against his size. Um, he's accurate. He's got a good arm. He can move as one of the best mobile quarterbacks in the league. Um, my thing with him is he's got not one red flag, but two. I mean, the injury to me, the injury history, he, he's small. He's going to take hits from running. He's at a higher risk than a lot of these other quarterbacks, whereas, you know, Josh Allen's essentially a linebacker trucking other linebackers and hurdling safeties. And Kyler Murray, he I mean, if he plays smart, if he, like, does a Russell Wilson approach and never gets hit, uh, I think that'll serve him well. But, I don't know, paying that guy a lot of money, uh, it's just, it's always a risk. It's always a risk whoever you pay. And you really hate to see a red flag like that when you're offering the deal, but they really didn't have a choice. They don't know the, they don't have a backup plan, and 
quarterbacks can kind of do that now if they're the guy. Um, you know, they may not be the number one quarterback in the league, but if they're a starting caliber good quarterback in the league, you can kind of hold these teams at gunpoint, hold them hostage. And, um, you know, I think that's what Kyler Murray and his team kind of did. And the Cardinals really didn't have a choice. They really didn't. Kingsbury is tied to Murray. Their legacies and careers are kind of tied now with all the drama that went down, um, getting them after Rosen. But, you know, the other red flag I have for him, which I kind of heard from college moving forward and now in the pros, is that I don't think he has some of the off-the-field sort of leadership character tangibles that some of these other guys have, the Mahomes, the Allen, the Lamar. Lamar's a great example. Uh, Herbert, Burrow, these guys that have, you know, Brady, these intangible leadership aspects. Like when you walk into the room, everybody listens. Everybody respects you. You are an absolute culture changer. You are the guy. You're the guy of the city, the team, the state. You're the guy. That's that's just very clear with these other guys. Um, you look at Kyler and what did they have to do? They had to bring in other leaders. You know, J.J. Watt, all these guys. They kind of got in the last year or two just to kind of bring in veteran voices. And I think, yeah, you know, it's filling roster holes, it's getting better players, it's improving, but I think a big part of some of their targeted free agents and trades have been to bring in voices of a leader, which is always concerning. I mean, if your quarterback doesn't check all those boxes, I mean, that's tough. That's really tough, and it's hard for me to stomach paying a guy that much money if he's not checking every single box, every box. So, you know, difficult situation. Congrats to Kyler and his team and his family uh, for securing the bag. I think it puts the Cardinals in a pretty good position moving forward if everybody's healthy. But, again, huge if um, in the quarterback room there. Uh, if health is, you know, going to stay stable for them and if Kyler Murray can kind of avoid contact and stay healthy, you know, they'll be a competitive football team. They definitely will. They'll be able to put up some points. Um I don't see them, you know, winning a Super Bowl anytime soon without some additional pieces or some ascension from Kyler Murray. But um, I don't know. I just want to touch on that. Um, it was a hot topic this offseason. And uh, I think everybody's at the fan where we all, you know, we all love Kyler Murray. He's an amazing quarterback. I just, maybe this is a little skeptical of me. Um, but I just, I'm not 100% sold on this contract, to be honest. Um, I just, something stinks. Something stinks. And I just, you know, I wish nothing but the best for the guy and for the Cardinals, but um, I don't know if I could have made this deal if I were them. But like I said, they just really did not have a choice, um, which is kind of the way the league is trending with quarterbacks and the raising of the cap and all the rules and offensive games being basically planned, you know, and dictated through quarterback play. So if you have a guy, you really just got to lock him down no matter what it takes. So, you know, I get it from both sides of the aisle here. Um but I wanted to just touch on Kyle Rudolph um, going to the Bucks, and everyone's like, oh, who cares? Um, you know, played a decade for the Vikings or so, went to, I believe, the Giants last year, had, you know, a couple hundred yards, a TD, not a huge season, but then again, it's Danny. Um, so how can you really have a good season? Um, but yeah, he's been a reliable veteran tight end and, you know, not the flashiest. He's not the Kelsey. He's not the Waller, um, but he's going to be a good pickup for them. He really is. And you know Brady loves his tight ends and backs. Um, he's going to get the ball. His numbers are going to go up, and he's going to have a productive year. I'm not saying he's going to be the number one ranked tight end, but he is going to help Tom Brady. He's going to get some touchdowns in the red zone. He's going to get some third down conversions. 
he will be good. Because that's what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady makes people good. <laughs> okay? Not saying it's all Tom Brady. It's definitely, you know, the other guys too. But Tom elevates every single person, right? And uh, this goes back to our hard cap analogy, right? Between the NBA and the NFL. The NFL is hard cap. If you're paying a guy like Kyler $46 million with his cap hit too, I mean, you're in a tough spot. You're in a really tough spot. If he doesn't elevate your team, if he doesn't make the most, stay healthy, be a good leader, all that stuff, that could really hurt your team and who you're able to keep um, with your team, you know, keep your team together or people you're able to get in free agency or trades. And, you know, Brady has always been on the mantra that he's going to take less. And, and, you know, it's different. I mean, he, he's got the wife making a ton of money and He's got a lot of off-the-field stuff, and he's really made his mark and his legacy already. But he's always, even in New England, taking pay cuts. And if I if I remember correctly, I think Brady's scheduled to make around $30 mil a year right now, which I don't know where that puts him in the quarterback uh, market. But, I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not at the top, which is pretty crazy because he's still in MVP conversations. He has seven rings. Like, he's still relevant. He's still one of the best quarterbacks. And... His ability to do that and keep other stars around him, you know, at back, receiver, bring in free agent pieces, you know, sign random people that other teams can't fit in. And then he they come to Brady and whatever team he's on, the Patriots, the Bucks, and he elevates them. I mean, look at Amendola cut. I believe he was cut from his former team, things the Rams. And, you know, he's a household name, you know, Super Bowl big time player. Same thing with Edelman, Wes Welker, all these guys that may not have you know stuck out on our TVs or we might not even have known their names if not for Tom Brady. So pretty crazy how he just does it year in, year out. I think it's year 22 now, which is just absolutely ludicrous. Um, so, you know, I expect history to repeat itself in the sense that Kyle Rudolph will go there working with Brady and Brady's going to get him the ball. He's going to get him the ball and he's going to be a productive player. Um, which is why I believe, you know, with all that in mind, Brady, their defense, um, all the guys they have on their roster, I believe they are the favorites for the NFC, at least the slight favorite over the Rams. And they'll be back. They're going to be good. They're going to cruise through, through their division. Um, and they're going to be back. So excited to see what Brady can do with that with Rudolph and some of his other weapons if everybody can stay healthy. And it should be another great season for Tom Brady. Um but yeah, I expect nothing less uh, the way he's conducted himself with his money and how he's really used some financial flexibility to kind of bolster every team he's been on. And he doesn't have to do that, even though he's rich off the field, even though he has a rich, you know, wife and family, he doesn't have to do that. You know, you don't see LeBron taking pay cuts and he's making, you know, he's a billionaire now, but I think he's made just shy of 400 million base salary in his career on the court. But, you know, LeBron takes max deals. That's what he does. You know, every other person that could basically takes a max deal. Um, not an indictment on LeBron. Um, honestly, huge LeBron fan. I, I get it. But um, it's more of a praise of Brady. It's just you can hate him uh, for winning. You can hate him for being great. But um, he's a team guy first. Uh, he loves loves his teammates, loves the locker room, and loves sharing the wealth. So I can't hate that. I mean, how can you? It's led to seven rings. So there's really no debate anymore on that. Um, he's the goat, <laughs> but, um, stemming from that, just wanted to answer one last fan question here. Um, wanted me to again, touch on Harden's contract and how that sets the Sixers up for success. 
looking at the Sixers roster right now, um, I think Harden got, um, I believe, $34 million, I think, for two years, um, which, you know, taking about a 14 mil pay cut there, um, you know, significant for the Sixers. Um, you know, and NBA teams, like I said, have more leeway. They can pay more. They can max guys to a certain degree. They can pay the tax, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's significant in the fact that James Harden basically had this moment um, looking in the mirror and said, hey, uh, you know, I played about 13 years in the league. I think this is year 14. A lot of individual accolades that will kind of cement my legacy, but I'm sitting here with no rings, you know, none. And some of my friends, some of my contemporaries have rings. My colleagues, my coworkers have rings, right? So I think James Harden's looking in the mirror and saying, hey, you know, I don't know how many more years I have left, but I don't want to leave this league without winning a ring. And I respect it. I do. I mean, taking a pay cut is not easy. He's made a ton of money over his career. Obviously, like a $200 million shoe deal from Houston, um, endorsements, all this stuff. So he's he's well off um, in the NBA. But um, I think what he does is, you know, for the team is, you know, maybe not set them up to bring in a KD, but, uh, you know, he set them up to bring in, you know, his buddy P.J. Tucker, who he trusts, Daryl Morey trusts, and say what you want about P.J., uh, his deal was definitely a little pricey. Um, seven mil for three years, I believe, especially for an older veteran player. Um, but what he does is he brings toughness, intensity, defense, um, playmaking and tough rebounding and the occasional corner three. And you see him on every competitive team he's been on, on playoff level championship teams. And when the playoffs come around, he's a baller. He leaves everything on the court and, you know, might've overpaid a little bit. Um, but the James Harden flexibility gives you a little bit of room to do so. And, you know, I think he will help the Sixers moving forward. Again, is 37 years old. So um, long term, who knows where he's going to be in two, three years. But I think this year it's a good move for the Sixers, to be honest with you. Um, setting them up for, uh, you know, some veteran help in the playoffs, I think, is what they desperately need. Um, D'Anthony Melton, another good move, in my opinion. Uh, didn't get a ton of time, but when he was on the court, um, you know, made a little bit of noise. He's got some skill. Uh, 6'2 shooting guard out of USC, only 24. Uh, I think he's scheduled to make about just short of nine a year. Uh, so I think he can really come in and provide some relief off the bench for the Sixers, um, especially in the regular season, rack up some minutes, uh, give Maxi and Harden a breather. And, uh, you know, I think he will fit in really well, to be honest with you. Um, so I actually really like that pickup, kind of under the radar um, no big splashes uh, this offseason for the Sixers. Um, but, again, uh, some other moves that were being made. Uh, <laughs> you still have uh, G League MVP last year from two years ago now. Uh, Paul Reed, uh, only making a million and a half, so we'll see if he can pan out. But excited to see if he can do anything in the future. Um, but, yeah, they also brought in Daniel House um, on a super cheap deal. I mean, he's he's already 29. He's our 6'6", six, 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 you know. Small forward, um, making about a half mil uh, a year. So, I mean, you can't complain with that contract. Um, but, you know, he had a good spurt in the playoffs for a game or so, but, you know, kind of had a flame out there. And we'll see if he can kind of revitalize his career here with, you know, P.J. Harden and Daryl Morey. And I think Daryl Morey will, you know, solve something in him and can get the best out of him. Um, but, again, uh, I think the Sixers are in good shape moving forward. Again, the Toby contract, I love Toby, I really do, but 30 years old, making 36 mil, 
um, is pretty insane. It's a pretty insane contract. Uh, when you look at the other players in the NBA, uh, especially some of the younger guys who haven't really hit contract, you know, big contracts yet um, that are better than Toby. But um, again, I love Toby. This is not a Toby slander podcast. I love him. I appreciate everything he's done for the Sixers, but that contract hurts them from a financial standpoint. And, you know, I know they were trying to bundle him in a deal with a superstar, but it looks like the big deals all wanted Tyrese Maxey. And if Daryl Morey, would have traded Tyrese Maxey. I would have marched marched over there and kicked him out of town myself. Um, I think he's one of the best prospects we could have ever asked for in a Sixers uniform. Um, obviously, has a lot of growth, a lot of room to grow. But he's 21, you know, six two point, and you know he's a star. He's an ascending star player. So if he can take the next step, Harden can stay healthy and be somewhat a version of his former self, or at least you know healthy all year contributing and. Um, we'll see if they try to move Toby before the deadline uh, for somebody big. Um, and, you know, this all this all banks on the big seven-footer's health um, and how he can do. But, you know, looking across the landscape, I don't give him the one nod, even as a Sixers fan. I just can't. You know, you have Milwaukee, which they'll be alive and kicking. They have a great roster, complete roster. And Giannis is by far the best player in the league, um, better than Joel Embiid, in my opinion although I love Joel. Um, Giannis is just the best player on both sides, and he's a health freak. He's always healthy. You can't get him out of the gym. He's everything you ask for in a superstar. And if Middleton's healthy, you know, and their team can stay healthy all year, they're going to be one of the front teams in the East. And obviously the Celtics only reloaded. They only got better. Um, so they're going to be up there in the one two, you know, one two area in the East. Um, and the Heat... You know, the Heat reload, but, you know, on paper, I always think we can beat the Heat, and then we hit them, and we can't beat Jimmy, um, which is the most Shakespearean thing ever. Um, Us shipping Jimmy out, basically choosing Simmons and Embiid over him, and I really think part of it was because he didn't really like Simmons and didn't really get along. Um, They thought Simmons was it, so kind of shifted Jimmy out, and Jimmy's proved everybody wrong. He's a gamer, you know, maybe not dropping... 30 night in the regular season, but when it's playoff time, he's a do or die, and it's really what the Sixers miss. I mean, you put Jimmy back on that team for the Toby spot, they're cooking. They're absolutely cooking. So um, kind of a tough tough move on the Sixers' part. I understand it at the time. It, it made sense, um, but really bit us in the butt. Um, but I, on the same wavelength, I credit Joel because um, there's a lot of a lot of people, uh, you know, when we had Simmons and Joel and Jimmy and there was some beef going on, and then we got Jimmy out and it's like, well, do we ride with Simmons or do we build around Embiid? And there's some people in both camps. And there were times I switched day to day, you know, a couple of years back now. Um, but I'm so glad we kept Embiid, even with the injury stuff. I mean, he's one of the best players in the league and I'm not going to go into the Simmons stuff, but, you know, he's stuck in Brooklyn and um, he'll be able to help them. Um, but... He just can't become an effective guard scorer like we hoped he would, and he wouldn't have basically worked out for the Sixers and the offense we run and what's best for the team. So it ended up working out as long as James Harden can stay healthy and contribute. Um, I think it was a good move for both teams because Harden was kind of done there in Brooklyn and tired of Kyrie and the drama. And I think Ben Simmons coming in for them, maybe give him a fresh start, try to find himself again and get healthy and play all-star level defense, rebound, steal, uh, distribute. He's just not a 
20 plus, 25 plus point a game guy. He just doesn't have the shot, doesn't have the confidence, whatever it is, either it's mental or physical or who, who really knows. But, um, you know, and, you know, the Nets, depending on how they work out, they'll be back. Uh, the, the East is just loaded. This isn't the LeBron running through the East years with the Cavs. You know, the East is now loaded. You know, the West is too. The, the NBA just in general, stars everywhere. There's competitive teams everywhere. And some of these young teams that haven't been competitive in the past will also be good. So um, it's going to be a really exciting, interesting uh, NBA season. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to it along with the start of the NFL. We're really soon getting to the end of the worst part of the year here, the drought. Um, you know, only month and a half just you know, two months till football season and basketball ramping up and like I like I always say, I mean, sports bring joy and joy is ahead, people. Joy is ahead. Um, so we just gotta bear through the rest of this off season and you know, keep sharing the pod, keep listening to the pod, tell your friends, family, moms, dads, uh, coworkers. I uh, appreciate everybody's support and feel free to keep firing in questions to be answered on the show. Um, but that's really it for today. Again, just had a little bit of time after work and wanted to reach out to y'all, my people. And, uh, you know, hope you enjoy the pod and have a good rest of your day. Peace.